1,002 on the church, in the church Bibles, 1,002, and it's the first 15 verses of the Gospel of Mark. So Mark 1, verses 1 to 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the River Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Thank you, Tim, for reading that to us. I'd love you to keep Mark chapter 1 open, although I notice that the uh, text I'm speaking on really is actually at the top of the service sheet, the verse of the month, Mark 1.15, right at the front of the service. So if you want a, a shorthand version, um, that's the verse we're concentrating on. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's quite a striking thought that our Remembrance Day service last year, with great sobriety, marked the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I, and that a year on, we meet again for Remembrance, with, of course, fresh conflicts across the globes, or reignited ones, and with the implication that the marking of that anniversary each year is just as relevant today as it ever was. Back in 1918, Andrew reminded us people expressed the hope that the First World War would be the war to end all wars. And which of us doesn't have that longing? Oh, if only that had been true. It was a sad irony when a schoolgirl made a mistake in her history essay. She wrote this in the essay. Armistice was signed on November the 11th, 1918. And since then, each year, we have had one minute's peace. But there's a big difference, isn't there, between a minute's silence and uh, a minute's peace or even a lasting peace. How we long for an end to hostilities between nations, 
hostilities and uh, lack of peace within countries and communities. Maybe even we long for peace in our own hearts. We're strangers to that. And I guess the longing for change for something better is there for all of us in different ways. And maybe especially true in the shadow of a general election. I mean, it's a simple matter of fact, isn't it? What pushed the Prime Minister to announce a general election was his view that this Parliament was broken and that there needed to be, this is how he phrased it, a change in Westminster. At the risk of being a bit controversial, that same hope and longing for change for the better was what drove people in the wake of the Second World War to advance the plans for a European Union. Just think about it. Over those two great wars last century, 50 million fatalities... And that was just in the European theatres of war. No wonder they longed for something different in international relations. But take it wider, because there is a universal longing for change for the better in the human heart. And that's why I want to point us to that particular Bible text this morning, because it meets that longing. It was spoken by Jesus Christ And you could argue that it's presented as a summary of his message. After John was put in prison, verse 14 says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I want to summarize those words as a message all about change, but um, acknowledge that perhaps it's a kind of change we don't normally think of, the change which happens when God's rule is established in human lives. And that's my rather clumsy paraphrase for Jesus' expression, the kingdom of God. And I want to use his words here as a window on why we need to change and how to change. So first then, why change? And let me answer that from the first part of Jesus' message as it's put in verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, at rock bottom, what Jesus is saying there is this. The time has come because the king has come. It was a veiled reference to himself. Israel as a nation was running on empty. They were under the cosh of Roman rule. Yet, down the years, repeatedly, there had always been the promise that God's great king would come. Now here's Jesus. Well, says Jesus, I'm here. This is the moment. The time has come because God's king has come. Now it's a veiled reference to himself. Granted, it's not immediately clear that it's a claim he's making, but still it is breathtaking because by implication at least, he's saying, my life is the focus of history. This is the big event of all time happening before your eyes if you were there. And the evidence was going to be there for all to see as we read on in Mark's Gospel in the weeks and months to come. I can summarize it briefly. For a start, Jesus speaks as no one else ever has. There's a word which is used repeatedly to describe his public speaking. It's the word authority. Positively, it meant that he made Huge claims for himself, claims which are quite amazing. Claims to be the bread of life, as if he were saying, you are starving without me. Claims to be the judge of all humanity, all of us, to meet him on the last day. Claims to be the door to friendship with God in heaven. You need to come to me, and only to me, 
he was saying. Huge claims spoken with great authority, positively. Negatively, this is amazing to me, he, he always managed to silence his opponents. I mean, they came back for more, but never an argument lost, as it were, by Jesus. He had within himself an amazing knowledge of the things of God. And I can only explain it because he was God himself. I would love to throw out a challenge to you about the, uh, the speaking of Jesus, what he said, just to take a fresh look at the recorded sayings of Jesus. Uh, I guess most of us, many of us will have Bibles, but there are little copies of Mark's Gospel you could take on the way out if you wanted to do that. And you might be saying, well, I would if I could, but how do I know the words Jesus is recorded as saying or what he actually said? I mean, didn't the disciples just put words into his mouth? Well, take the challenge. Take a gospel. Look at the words. I mean, we got them available on the page in black and white. Then ask yourself if those words look like something the disciples came up with. And just to ask the question is to answer it. Because the words we still have attributed to Jesus are not, I'd suggest, on a level with any other human composition. Just have a look and see. He spoke like the king he claimed to be. It's not just what he said, it's what he did too. Amazing miracles are recorded there. We'll be seeing them as we advance through Mark's gospel. Healing incurable illnesses instantly. That stilling a storm that had seasoned sailors witless with fear. And then, if the accounts are true, beating humanity's greatest enemy, death, when he was raised from the dead. I know it's fashionable to say, look, these are not normal events today, therefore we don't really believe they could have happened then. People will talk like that. But this surely is the point. The whole episode of Jesus' life was abnormal. Think about it. If God were to come amongst us as a human being, would you not expect it to be different? It would be extraordinary if it wasn't extraordinary. We don't expect it to be the normal run of events. In Elizabethan England at the Globe Theatre, William Shakespeare was involved in just about everything that was happening. He wrote the plays for a start, but he directed, he produced, he ran everything from behind the scenes. And then there would be that dramatic moment when Shakespeare would take his part and make his entrance onto the stage. Dramatic, because the author became an actor at that point. And that's what happened, or something like it, when Jesus walked the roads of Judea. God himself had come to reign. And no surprise, therefore, all humanity's enemies bowed down before him. Selfishness, sin, Satan, sickness, suffering, sorrow. They're dealt with in the here and now by Jesus in his lifetime. The time has come because the king has come. And yet there is more to it. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near, see how there's a future dimension to God's rule that's implied there. The kingdom has come near and it will only be fully known in the future, he's saying. Yes, in the life of Jesus, we could see it if we'd been there. But then the king was rejected and crucified. And here we are today in a broken world, marking Remembrance Day again. 
And yet the claim here is that there is a day coming when everything that's out of whack in our world will be put right. Everything will come to a conclusion and the normal course of human history will end. The sign on the door of time will be flipped round from open to closed. And Jesus will return as king and judge and overthrow all that ruins our world. I just like to sink in because, of course, that is good news for our world. A bright day is coming. But actually, if we're honest, it's bad news for me, for all of us, because that day it will be clear to us, to all of us, that we're not in charge in the world. And we like to think I'm in charge of my little empire, but actually I'm not the boss. He is. And Jesus went on record again and again to warn us that we would all give account of our lives to him because he really is king. Now that is all implied in this summary of his message. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Because I have come, Jesus is saying, and because I will one day come back, life can never be the same again. That's why change is needed. There's a story I've heard a number of times. Um, It's a sort of story that grows with the telling. You know how stories get a sort of life of their own on Google and other sort of search engines? Well, um, this one gets better every time I read it, Um, which makes me question whether it's true, but I've got an illustration that comes at the end of it, okay? The date here I've got in my notes is November the 10th, 1995 doesn't sound plausible because I know I preached this um, story long before that. Anyway, this is the transcript, supposedly, allegedly, of a radio conversation between some Canadian and American naval officials. And I probably, just because it says Canadian and American, you sort of know there's a little hint of uh, um, fiction about this one. Supposedly off the coast of Newfoundland, apparently released by the Chief of Naval Operations November the 10th, 1995. Americans, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. Americans, This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We're accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. We demand that you change your course 15 degrees north, one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians, this is a lighthouse. You choose. Now, if I can put it like this, no amount of talking can get the hard facts of Jesus Christ out of our way. He stands in history as a unique human being, and every one of us one day will come face to face with him. We mustn't try and change him to suit the course of our lives. Instead, we've got to be willing to alter course and allow him to call the shots. So having thought about why change, the key question now becomes how. What do I need to do? 
Well, Jesus explained that in the second bit of verse 15. The time's come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He mentions two things there. To repent first. What exactly does that word mean? Uh, Let me try and sharpen the definition by saying what it doesn't mean. It doesn't simply mean to confess I've done wrong and say sorry. Say sorry to God. It includes that, but there's more to it. Perhaps on Remembrance Day I can mention how an aging clergy friend of mine who I saw last week often illustrated repentance by referring to an old-fashioned military command from his army career. I think it dated from the time when soldiers had to present themselves one by one in a line at a table to pick up their pay. But then it was carried on at the parade ground as a sort of drill maneuver. The command was to the front salute. And you just took two paces forward, paused, saluted, and then did an about turn and marched away in the opposite direction. And it's quite a good illustration of repentance because I need to take a look at the life I've been living to salute it, as it were. And then I need to about face and walk off in the other direction. Our natural lifestyle is to live for ourselves. And because the great king has come, we need to turn from that. That sort of bid for independence. That longer we all have, my way or the highway. We need to to stop that. To look it in the face and to turn around from it. Walk in the opposite direction. Leave it behind us. Repentance always has that element of turning, changing the direction of our lives so that we live them henceforward for him. And we'll look next week at the, the following scene in the account here, but it's got the disciples leaving their fishing nets to follow Jesus as if they're saying to him, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be, Jesus. No ifs, buts, or maybes. Jesus is king. And therefore, there can't be any conditions like that. I can't be a true follower of Jesus and sort of rope bits of my life off from him. Yeah, you can have everything, Jesus, but hands off my bank balance. Or have the lot, Jesus, but not my sex life. Not the way I speak to my family. No, no conditions. Now, that's not to say I'm going to sprout wings and achieve perfection overnight. not saying that. But to repent means that I commit myself in advance to Jesus' way in the future at every point. And to commit myself, if I do fall or fail, with his help, with the encouragement of others who follow Jesus, to pick myself up and carry on again. And that's an ongoing decision for all of us. But I just want to say on the basis of my time following Jesus personally, there is no one better to give control of your life to. So repent, and secondly, to believe, or in full, to believe the good news. And I assume that means more than just believing it all in our our minds and sort of ticking the box, line after line of each line of the creed, sort of creeds we've done in church. It's more than that. To believe the good news means to trust it, to rely on it, to stake our lives on it. 
And God promises that because of Jesus Christ, a new day has dawned for human beings to enjoy a restored relationship with him. And we say, yes, we can bank on that being true. So we respond. I only twigged yesterday that it was the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. I was um, shaving, listening to the Today program. And Nick Robinson, was uh, the presenter, was recalling being there in Berlin in 1989, up on the wall, as somebody jumped down onto the East German side. And then that heart-stopping moment, as everybody watched to see what the border guards would do. Brief pause. And then the guy gave a single flower to the armed sentry. And with tears in their eyes, said Nick Robinson, everyone saw the guy accept the flower. Then that was the cue for great celebration at that point. Because the Cold War, with all those chilly years of hostility, separation, lies, death, was over, at least for the time being. And what celebrations there were. Now, with the coming of Jesus Christ, there is good news of a restored relationship, not between East and West. This is more wonderful by far between heaven and earth. And there's no heart-stopping moment. If we trust God's promise made to us in Christ, we don't have to wonder if God will accept us. Will he? Won't he? It's 100% sure he will. Not because I've made the effort. If I've rebelled against him in my life, it makes no sense to rely on my performance, whether that's good things I've done in the past or making promises about what I hope to do in the future. I can't rely on the fact either that there are loads of people who, in my judgment, are worse than me. The only thing I can safely rely on is his assurance that the war is over. But with his assurance, I can dare to hope, can't I? He's proven beyond doubt that he intends to forgive every single person, however bad they have been, who comes to him. He proved it on a cross up on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, taking the punishment of our sin there so that no one here need be punished themselves if they'll only trust in him if they'll only believe the good news and rely on it, their rebellion will be forgiven and forgotten forever. It's telling that at the moment Jesus died, the huge curtain of separation in the temple was miraculously torn in two. The wall is down for good. And the cross says, I can stake my life and my eternity on him. So let me just recap for a moment on what Jesus was saying. Why to change? The time has come because the king has come. And how specifically am I to change? Repent and believe the good news, which I take it begins with a prayer as I commit myself to Jesus. And I'll give you a moment as I draw to a close in a moment to do that. Let me just tackle an objection as I close. I don't know if anybody's thinking this. I imagine somebody might. Might be thinking, well, thanks, but no thanks, Simon. This doesn't really have anything to do with the topic of Remembrance Day. You've just gone off topic and given a nice talk for Christians to feel slightly smug about their decision to follow Jesus. But it won't make the world a better place. 
And I'm claiming that it will. And nothing else will really come close to it. The two boys once were doing a jigsaw puzzle and making a bit of a mess of it. It was supposed to be a picture of a royal court with the king and all his attendants gathered around. But to the boys, it was just still a jumble of pieces all over the floor until one of them snuck a look at the picture on the box's lid. Ah, he said, I see the mistake we've been making. Let's begin by putting the king in the middle. And as soon as they got that clear, they had the beginnings of a picture instead of a puzzle. Now, Mark 1.15 is saying, get the king central. And the Christian claim is this. Without that, there is no answer to the mess and the muddle which our world is. But wonderfully, when we do that, everything begins to slot into place in our own hearts, in our families, in our communities. And with God's help, we'd see results uh, further afield still as well. Let's pause while we work out our own response. I'd love to encourage you to turn to the service sheet. Just look over the last verse of that hymn we just sang before the sermon, Lord for Ourselves. I'm going to read it in a second. But I wonder if I can encourage you, maybe even for the very first time, to change the ourself or the us into myself or me as a prayer for you. Lord, for ourselves, in living power, remake us. Self on the cross and Christ upon the throne. Past put behind us, for the future take us. Lord of our lives, to live for Christ alone. Amen.